Good morning, ladies. I love all the chatter this morning. I'm actually shocked to hear all the chatter. <laughs> a little early, I know. Well, not for you, Jeannie. You're a, you're a chatterbox in the morning, aren't you? Oh, yes. Yeah, see? <laughs> so you're like, wow, there's people awake in here and we're having coffee. <laughs> Hopefully you found the coffee. Anybody need a book? Did not get one? Good. Okay, awesome. So I am thrilled with this turnout. Honestly, when we started talking about doing an early morning study, I thought if we can be in a circle with like 10 or 11 or 12 of us, I was going to be really happy. So this is exciting. I love it. I love to see all your bright faces this morning. And I wasn't kidding saying I was going to come in gym clothes or just out of bed. So I'm glad some of you took that memo. Others of you look like you're just been up since four, so that's perfect for you, too. <laughs> um, I did not used to be a morning person at all, and I still don't. I would love to rather be in bed, honestly, but um, some of you have heard this story. When Tate was a baby, my almost 12-year-old son, so it's been almost 12 years, um, a very dear friend of mine, Diane DeClean, who most of you probably know, who just left to go to New City Church, um, she gave me this book that said how to, shopping for time, how to do it all, not be overwhelmed. And um, I had two little tiny kids, and I thought, oh, thank goodness, someone knows how overwhelmed I, I am, and it's going to show me how to get my life organized. But it was really all about just getting up in the morning and prioritizing your day for the Lord before your family was up. And so that started a journey for me that has been you know, not perfect in the last 12 years for sure. There are definitely days that I've slept in and seasons that I've not been putting the Lord first where he needs to be, but to his glory for the most part, kind of like Jeannie said, it's the only time in your day as a wife, a mom, a single woman, it doesn't really matter. I feel like as a woman, our days, just the list just keep going and going once we're up. And so... Um, it's just been a huge blessing and spiritual encouragement in my life to turn the alarm off, get up, out of bed, and spend some time with the Lord in the morning before my family is up and before my list is like just running a million miles in my head. And so I'm excited because there are like 33 of us here that have decided to get up this morning and come and just be together as women and study God's word and so and this isn't the easiest like book to study either <laughs> so thank you for coming and um, studying Hosea with us I'm excited to see what God's gonna do he's already been doing a work on my heart believe me so I'll be sharing some of that too um, let's pray real quick before we go in this morning oh, good morning father in heaven thank you so much for this morning this muggy summer morning that all 30-some of these women have chosen to get up out of their beds and come over here all the way to church and study your word. Wow. Lord, I thank you so much for that. Um, I just thank you for each woman here this morning. I pray for all of their hearts. I pray for my heart. Uh, this is a book that is not super easy but Lord is full of your redeeming, amazing covenant love for us. Um, your people who completely screw up time and time again, and that's every single one of us in this room. And I just thank you. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your salvation, um, for your forgiveness that none of us deserve. And I thank you for this book that's going to bring it out. <laughs> and uh, just thank you for the change in advance that I know is going to take place in many hearts over the next four weeks. And I thank you for the cleansing power of your word. Um, be with our study in the next hour and with our families as they are at home and with our days. And we thank you for this Thursday in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, my name is Sarah, if I haven't met you yet, and Lindsay Holen over here in the green shirt, she is going to be teaching with me. So I'm teaching this week and in two weeks, and she's teaching weeks two and four. So it's been fun to have someone to go over this with. Um, like I said, this is not a super easy book, and our first choice was not to um, 
do it from scratch. <laughs> we looked and looked for someone who had already written a four-week study on a lot of different books, but Hosea kept coming back to both of our minds, and it was just on our hearts, and both of us studied it and looked at it and prayed over it, and it just kept coming back to the top of the list. And so, um, for whatever reason, the Lord has all 30-some of us in this book over the next four weeks, and just digging through it, um, Lindsay and I are not like big Bible theologians, we're just girls like you, digging through God's word and trying to search it out and seeing what it means. So there are definitely some verses in here that I'm like, man, I'm not sure what that means. And so if you have a question, that's how we have to answer it and get back to you. Don't be too offended. Um, I actually asked my dad a question even before he left for Togo on Monday. I'm like, if someone asks this question, how am I supposed to answer this? <laughs> so there's a few um, there's a few verses like that in here. Um, so what we're excited just even about the simplicity of it, it's summertime, we know you're busy, we know a lot of us are on different schedules for summer, so um, I just wanted to explain to you really quick a little bit about these super simple journals, okay? We didn't want to make it crazy complicated where you had an hour's worth of homework to do every day because we know how summer is, okay? So hopefully it's really easy and the idea is that you will just be in God's Word and reading it and reading it again if you have to. We've left a lot of room for notes and your own places to write questions for the next week or um, something that God spoke to you in or a cross-reference or just whatever you want to jot down. Um, so hopefully you're able to read chapters 1 through 3 this week. If you haven't, it's okay, you'll catch up. And there are just a few different questions on that. We've got our group discussion today. But then it kind of switches up for tomorrow actually starts week two, okay? So we'll have class today, and then Lindsay and I were talking a few weeks ago, and she's like, you know, I've done all these Bible studies, and we do the class time, and something pops up in my head, and I'm like, whoa, I never thought of it that way. But then by the time I get to think about it again, I'm already doing week two's homework, and I'm on to the next one, and I'm trying not to get behind and all this stuff. So for this study, we really just want to try to make it contemplative, really sink in your heart. So for every Friday, it's going to be a make it personal day, and you're going to be reflecting back on what we learned that week. So you'll go over the chapters that we learned. Um, sometimes, I mean, tomorrow it's just one little question. I have another one I'm going to add on there for you guys today, but um, there's other weeks where there's three or four questions that just help you reflect on what you what was brought up in class that maybe you hadn't thought about on your own or things that the Lord had really brought to your heart through the week. So that's what Friday is for, just to really regurgitate God's word. And so it's, it's really, this is not a marathon study. This is a try to just really get it in and learn. So then um, the weekend is off, which does not mean you don't need to be in God's word. Um, it just means we don't have homework for you or anything assigned. So um, pick up Psalms, Proverbs, or wherever else you're at um, on Saturday and Sunday, and then you'll start again for Monday until you get to the next class day. So Hopefully that makes sense. We tried to even write down what day, like day three was, Tuesday, because that'll be me. I'll do a study, and I'm like, I don't even know what day it is or what day I'm on. So we tried to make it simple for you and easy for summertime, but at the same time, um, not to think of it as, oh, this is just easy peasy, and I'll get my three questions done and check it off the list, but really to be getting into God's Word on your own um, and seeing what He's teaching you. So... This book in particular, some books I am able to just read through and see all kinds of things and um, it just comes alive to me. And other times I have to read it, I have to read it again, and I have to read it again, and then I got to get out some commentaries and I got to get my notes. And for me, this is how Hosea has been because there are a lot of things in here that um, I need some smarter guys than me to um, give some insight. So don't be afraid of grabbing a commentary or reading through your notes or highlighting things or putting question marks on stuff or stuff like that. So um, I, my favorite study and or commentary, and I think Lindsay's as well, has been um, the Bible Exposition Commentary. It's by Wearsby, and he is just, he's a great, a great writer for commentaries. He's simple and easy to understand, so if you're looking for a really good one, that's a good one. Anyway, just a little background. Okay, so I'm not really a history buff, 
but I feel like I need to give you a little history on this book. Um, so I will not be dwelling on that. I'm much more of a uh, make it practical girl, okay? But this book needs a little bit of history so you kind of know what's going on. So before we get started today, I'm just going to give you a little bit. So if you didn't get that at all, Hosea is a prophet. He was uh, one of the prophets. It's a guy at first. Um, my kids always think Hosea is a girl name, which does kind of sound like a girl name, but <laughs> he's a boy. Um, he preached to the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, okay, which was the ten northern tribes. So during the years of David and Solomon's reign, Israel was together. But just shortly after Solomon died, during the reign of his son, King Rehoboam, um, Israel split into two kingdoms. So in Hosea's day, there was a southern kingdom, and that was Judah. Its capital was Jerusalem. Um, and there was a northern kingdom, and that was Israel. Its capital was Samaria. So, like, in my head, I'm thinking of it in, like, Civil War times, okay? So you have, the, like, the Mason-Dixie line, and you're north and south. It's kind of how it was back then, if you want to think of it that way. So Hosea preached to the northern tribes back then. Um, and very soon after the nation split, all the idol worship started. Um, there was this king, in 1 Kings 16, it talks about the sin of King Jeroboam. And he was the king who laid out all the calves for people to worship, all the shrines of calves. And that's kind of when all the idolatry worship started um, in the kingdom in Israel. Um, so the King Jeroboam, though, not to be confused, in Hosea 1 verse 1 was not actually the same shrine of calves Jeroboam. For some reason, they kept naming their kings the same thing. It's just super confusing for all of us. But... Um, this Jeroboam was King Jeroboam II. So that's in chapter 1, verse 1. Um, we'll be in and out of our passages, so you can keep your Bibles open if you want. Um, the word of the Lord, which came to Hosea, the son of Beri, during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So he was Jeroboam King II, okay? So not related to the other guy. I mean, I'm sure he was somehow, but a different, a different king. Um, so when he ruled, he actually had a super prosperous reign. Um, he ruled for 40 years. He had got back some of the land that his, the kings before him had been taken away. Um, everything was really stable in the land for a long time. But after he died, it became really poor. So um, the king's reigns were really short. A lot of the kings were assassinated. So I don't, you're like, why are you telling me all that? I don't care. I'm telling you about Hosea, really, and his ministry as a prophet, as a preacher. So he preached through the really good times of King Jeroboam II, who had a super prosperous reign. And he also preached through um, the reigns of the kings who were assassinated and had super short reigns. So he saw the really good times, in the nation, and he saw the really rough times, and he preached through that whole time. Um, so this book starts out right in the reign of King Jeroboam II, like I just said, in the 40 years of the nation being really prosperous and doing really great. And um, there was a lot of stability and security, and he had made peace in the land. It was a lot of wars when he took it over. So you would think that things would be going really well. But unfortunately, kind of reminds me of our nation today. It can be really prosperous on the outside, but spiritually, they were not doing well at all. Um, like I said, the idol worship was at an all-time high. They were worshiping Baal. They had a lot of um, lewd sexual um, practices and rituals. It was a very um, just spiritually and morally um, low wreck of a time. Um, it was corrupt, and crime had soared, and God's judgment was about to fall. So Hosea's ministry as a prophet, even though everything on the outside looked really um, good and prosperous, was really to tell the nation of Israel that, look, you are not living for God. You are not loving God. You're not obeying God. You're living corrupt. You are not worshiping God. You're worshiping idols. And so um, you're going to be judged. So wake up and smell the roses. So that was, in a nutshell, his um, job as a prophet. Um, 
So when I started reading, I mean, I've read the book of Hosea before, obviously, but even when I started reading it a few months ago to start prepping for this study, I just thought, man, I mean, this book is kind of depressing. <laughs> it is gloom and judgment and doom, and I thought, I don't know about 6 a.m. and waking up to this. <laughs> um, but as I started reading it over and over again and really just jotting down notes of what was coming out, um, that's I'm kind of a, I have my devotions in the morning and read on paper, but then um, I use my uh, push play button on my Bible app a lot while I'm folding laundry or doing other mindless stuff. So it only takes like 13 minutes if you want to listen to the whole book, just so you know, which is about how fast I can fold a load of laundry. So um, it worked out perfectly for me. But as I listened and listened and regurgitated really what this book was saying, it became less of a book of all about gloom and judgment and more I could see the love and the restoration and the forgiveness of God, um, the faithfulness, even tenderness came to my mind as um, I could see God's love and forgiveness for Israel popping out all over this book, um, which went right along with the story also of Gomer and um, Hosea. So, um, it became really a book about love. And I looked up this um, word love that is talked about, or the idea of love talked about in Hosea a lot, and it's a Hebrew word, and it's called hesed. And I hope I'm saying that right. I should have asked my dad about that. Um, H-E-S-E-D, hesed love. So when you think about love as we go through this book, I want you to think of the word hesed. I'm going to read you the definition. Hesed is a Hebrew word. It's the idea of faithful love in action. And often in the Old Testament refers to God's loving kindness expressed in his covenant relationship with Israel. God's hesed love donates persistent and unconditional tenderness, kindness, and mercy. A relationship in which he seeks after man with love and mercy. Hesed love expresses God's loyalty to his covenant and his love for his people, along with a faithfulness to keep his promises. So I know that's a long definition, but the words that stuck out to me there were faithful and action. It was an action kind of love. There's a lot of different descriptions of love and God's word. You know, we read about the kind of love that talks about friendship. We read about sexual love between a husband and wife. There's, I mean, we could go on and on and on. But this idea of love is a faithful love that also has an action an action to it. I even thought of those of us who are married. I mean, love and marriage does not always come naturally, right? It doesn't always come easy. And there are times when we have to put an action step to it. Like, I am going to choose to love you today. And I am going to have to sometimes even seek after that love when you're going through rough times. And so that's the kind of love that we're talking about here. The people of Israel at this time, they didn't want to be loved. And if you've read the story of Hosea and Gomer, there were most of the times Gomer didn't want to be loved by her husband. But Hosea was putting action, this hesed type of love, towards his wife and going after her. So when you think of love um, in the next four weeks, think of that, faithful love and action. Um, Hosea is written in poetry form. If you didn't pick up on that all already, it's very eloquent and full of pictures. Um, the first three chapters that we've studied uh, this week so far are kind of a narrative uh, type of, <coughs> of prose and poetry, and then the whole rest of the book um, takes on the form of ancient Hebrew poetry. So as you're reading it, keep that in mind. There are some things that you're like, what? And then you remember, okay, it's a poetry book. And so it's not always in perfect order. Sometimes you've got to flip back and forth, and you have to kind of read it with that kind of a lens. So overall, um, the story of Hosea, if you've not read it before, just give you a little, a little glimpse before we dive in here, the first three chapters. Um, God tells Hosea, the prophet, who's been preaching, right, to these people, to tell them to turn back to him to go and take a wife who is a prostitute, a whore, 
So that seems crazy. He obeys. He does that. He takes on Gomer. And what does she do? They have some kids. What does she do? She does what a prostitute does and goes out and leaves him. And we'll even read um, a little bit in the next chapter today that God calls him to go back and use that Hesed action love again. Go back, get that wife, even though she doesn't want you. She doesn't even know that she needs you right now. She doesn't even know that you've been the one taking care of her right now. Go back and get her. And poor Hosea, he had to not only go through all of that inward strife that I can't even fathom he was going through, but he was still preaching this whole time to this nation of Israel that was acting exactly like his wife and having to um, tell them to turn back to God. So it is a beautiful, beautiful picture of Israel and Gomer um, being us, the ones who are constantly turning away from God and not obeying, and Hosea being a picture of God himself, um, loving us and going back and pursuing us and forgiving us and wanting that covenant relationship with us. So that's a short little overview, and I'm excited to dig through even more. So, okay, we've been through the first three chapters. Hopefully you've taken time um, to read them a little bit. And it was hard for me to really pick out, okay, how am I going to pick out in like 30 minutes the top things that the Lord spoke to me about? So it was difficult. But I just really want to tell you, I picked up the things that the Lord was speaking about to me personally um, and what he showed me in these first few chapters. So we're going to start in chapter 1, and I will read um, through verse 7. The first thing that really popped out to me, and I actually posted this on Instagram a couple weeks ago, so you may have seen it. Um, I read this in Wearsby's commentary, is that God's love for us is unconditional. God's love for us is unconditional, but our enjoyment of that love is conditional. So I'm going to repeat that. God's love for us is unconditional, but our enjoyment of that love is conditional. So we're going to start right in here and read a little bit about these kids that were born to um, Hosea and Gomer. So I'll start in verse 2 since I already read verse 1. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of har harlotry, for the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel for yet a little while, and I will punish the house of Jehu for the bloodshed of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Then she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Name her Lohorama, and I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel, that I would ever forgive them. But I will have compassion on the house of Judah and deliver them by the Lord their God, and will not deliver them by bow, sword, battle, horses, or horsemen. When she had weaned Loharama, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said, Name him Loami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. I'm going to stop there and talk about the name meanings real quick of these kids. So God named these kids, which I thought was crazy. Um, the first one, Jezreel, in verses 4 and 5, means God scattered. So he, it was a meaning of he's breaking up the land of Ahab and all the evil descendants. He's letting them know, this is, I'm breaking them up. This isn't going to go on anymore. But this is the one that um, <coughs> stuck out to me the most, Lo-Hurama's meaning. Um, verses 6 and 7, name this girl Lo-Hurama. It means unpitied or unloved. Can you imagine naming your kid that? Unloved? <laughs> Sounds terrible. But this was a sign that God was extending his judgment on Israel for their disobedience. He was no longer expressing his favor towards them. He had done it for a long time. 
He had loved them and loved them and loved them and shown favor towards them, and yet they continually chose to turn against them and worship idols and not care and act um, foolishly and against his will. So he had withdrawn his favor towards them. This is what Wearsby says. The expression of God's love is unconditional, but our enjoyment of that love is conditional and depends on our faith and obedience. Um, one of you, I gave Second Peter 1, 3. Can you read that? Whoever I just passed out some sticky notes. Must be Echo. Thank you, Echo. Okay, thank you. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Okay, so when you think of how God's love for us is unconditional, but our enjoyment is conditional, how do you think that goes along with that verse? I have given you everything you need for life and godliness. Is anybody here in this room completely 100% godly? You raise your hand, you're, I'm switching places with you. <laughs> Okay, but we have everything we need to be 100% godly, right? God's told us that we have everything we need for life and to be holy as we are holy, but none of us are, right? Why? Well, because we're harlots, we're prostitutes, we're sinners. We, com we completely turn away from God on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Even though we have all the power and all the tools that we need to be holy as I am holy. Same thing here. I thought of even just yesterday, um, this is kind of a silly example, but I was trying to think of something practical. Um, just yesterday, my neighbor invited us over to Hyperion. It's a country club. We don't belong there, but um, she can bring guests. So we went and it was super great. And there's like eight other people in the pool. So you basically have the whole pool to yourself. And it was amazing because we're used to fighting people at Cascade Falls for like just a towel spot on the grass. So um, I was having a grand old time. And my three little ones were having a wonderful time as well. Hardly saw them actually. They played the whole time. I had snacks and drinks and they had pool toys. You can even bring the big floaties in this pool so it's kind of a big deal when you're used to cascade falls um so the three little ones were fully enjoying the, the pool to the fullest right they had everything that they needed but i also have a 13 year old and nearly 12 year old who had no friends and they were not happy that i decided that we were going to this pool and not cascade falls with 17 water slides and so um they laid on the chair one of them slept for an hour and a half the other one pouted for an hour and a half um, and did not enjoy it. They did not take up this amazing afternoon that we had, and we had to have some attitude adjustment discussions. Uh, but did I offer any of these five kids that were with me anything different? No. I mean, Nina and Tate had full enjoyment at the facilities. They could have been on the huge rafts that they don't get to normally enjoy. They get, they had all, they, there was an ice cream bar. They got to go, like, get ice cream, the ice cream bar. It was, they, they could have enjoyed all of it, but they chose to not fully enjoy what was offered to them. Um, my little ones did. So you could have everything offered. It's a silly example, I realize. But we have everything offered to us for life and godliness and enjoying God to the fullest. But we have to take action and faithful steps in our walk with God in obedience to be able to enjoy it. Or we could lay in the pool chair for two hours and not enjoy it, right? We have everything we need for life and godliness. Um, James 4.4, 4, I gave one of you that. Can you read that one? Thanks, Dana. Okay, so here, thank you, in Hosea, they were becoming enemies of God. They were not walking with God. It was a continual choice to be disobedient, to not enjoy what God had given them. So they were being an adulterous people. We're going to talk um, quite a bit in the next four weeks about um, 
adultery, which is obviously um, seeking love outside of your marriage, which is what was going on between um, Gomer and Hosea, and idolatry, okay, which is um, worshiping something outside of God, anything outside of God. And we talked about that a little bit later too. And really, they go hand in hand because they are both seeking enjoyment or worship or pleasure outside of where we are supposed to be seeking it. So um, you can't be both friends with the world and friends with God at the same time, worshiping God at the same time, James 4.4. 4. Okay, who is 2 Corinthians 7.1? so much Lucy perfecting holiness and reverence for God I love that purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit so if we are wanting to really enjoy um, God's love that he fully offers to us we have got to get rid of all the stuff that contaminates I love that word contaminates in 2nd Corinthians 7 1 um, purify yourselves from everything that contaminates your body and your spirit so that is a personal um, a personal thing between you and God you know um, what is contaminating um, you between the Lord and so um, that's another reason that I have enjoyed it's a yucky enjoyment but um being before the lord early in the morning before my family's up because that is the quiet times that the lord brings up the sin that is in my heart and my life and i feel like when the days are crazy and busy um, i can overlook them and not really examine my heart and see where i am not fully enjoying the lord and where sin is contaminating my heart and taking me away from things of him so Anyway, um, God's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Um, his love for us is always there. It's unconditional, but um, the enjoyment kind of depends on us. So that's the first thing that I saw here in the, this first chapter. Um, the second thing that popped out to me is from chapter 2, that God chastens or disciplines, is another word, those that he loves. Sometimes it's with trials. And sometimes it's with roadblocks. So if he loves us, and he does, and his love is unconditional for us, sometimes that means that to wake us up, he's got to bring trials. Um, and sometimes trials are discipline. Sometimes they're not. Um, just depends. Um, but he's going to get after those that he loves and try to bring them back to him with roadblocks. Um, who's got Hebrews 12.6? Thank you. So that tells us the same thing right there. So here we go. Gomer was chapter two going after other men. She'd already left her husband um, into a life of harlotry. Um, at this point, even in verse two, I'm guessing the kids were older by now. Um, and Hosea is actually asking his children to plead with their mother to quit um, this type of lifestyle. So let's just read here a little bit, um, verses 1 through, uh, you know what, I might go all the way to 13. Say to your brothers, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhama, contend with your mother, contend, for she's not my wife and I'm not her husband. Let her put away her harlotry from her face and her adultery from between her breast, or I'll strip her naked and expose her as on the day when she was born. I will also make her like a wilderness, make her like a desert land, and slay her with thirst. Also, I will have no compassion on her children, because they are children of harlotry. For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I'll go after my lovers, who gave me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, now here's the verse I want you to um, listen to. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She will pursue her lovers, but she'll not overtake them. 
She will seek them, but will not find them. Then she will say, I'll go back to my first husband, for it was better for me than now. For she does not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the new wine, the oil, and lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for bail. Therefore, I will take back my grain at harvest time and my new wine in its season. I will also take away my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. And then I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one will rescue her out of my hand. I will put an end to her gaiety and her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her festal activities. I will destroy her vines and fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. And I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the fields will devour them. I will punish her for the days of the bales, when she used to offer sacrifices to them, and adorn herself with earrings and jewelry, and follow her lovers, so that she forgot me, declares the Lord. Real quick, here... Um, Hosea had been actually supplying goods for his wife while she was with these other nasty men and supplying things. And here she had given credit to the other men, to Baal, offered stuff back to Baal to sacrifice. I mean, it was just really a sat, your heart just aches for him. You're like, oh my goodness. Here, he had been supplying for his harlot wife all of this stuff, and she had been giving credit back to Baal and her lovers and not her husband, which, again, a picture of us and everything that God supplies for us all the time, and yet we are not thankful, or we think that it was maybe something we did, um, and not giving credit to God. So that has nothing to do at this point, but I just wanted to bring that out there. Um, God chastens those that he loves. This really stuck out to me in verse 6. Therefore, I'll hedge up her way with thorns and build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. Also, um, later on it talked about, um, later on in the chapter it talked about how they had used Baal for a rain god and God had decided that he wasn't going to let it rain even though the people were praying and praying for the rain and to the right they thought the right gods. Um, God was like, mm, I'm going to show you who's really God, and you're not going to get the rain, and there's going to be some famine in the land. Um, God, God is not going to let us get away too long if we are truly sons and daughters um, of him without discipline in our lives, without putting thorns and without putting stoppers um, in our lives. It's going to come out. Um, I even think of, I think of the example of my brothers. I know many of you have heard my dad tell story after story of um, my two younger brothers who were not living for God um, in their high school years. And one of them was a believer and not walking with God. One of them had never, um, had never be given his life to the Lord. So the one, honestly, who was a believer and living like that the whole time, I'm telling you what, that boy was miserable, miserable. He was not enjoying the sin. He was maybe enjoying it for a moment, but every time you talk to him, I mean, he would break down into tears. He would just, um, he was miserable because God was continually disciplining him and chastening him for the lifestyle that he was living until eventually, praise God, um, he turned back back to him. But God doesn't want to share his glory with anybody else. Um, eight times in the Bible we read, be holy as I am holy. Um, he doesn't want to share his glory. He doesn't want us to um, just live like hypocrites and um, continue living like this and saying that we, that we love that we love God. And so um, I just, I thought of many times in the Bible where there were thorns placed in people's paths. And I know it's early in the morning, but can you think of stories that pop into your head of men and women in the Bible where they are walking a life of sin and God puts thorns and stoppers in their paths? Ooh, what'd you say? I don't have that one written down. Okay, explain that one really quick, Jeannie. Um, 
Lord lets me know I can't do this, and then he says, well, we'll give you great money or whatever, and he really wants to go, and so he goes back and basically does that, and God says, well, so go to the people, but tell them to stay close to the house and pray. Mm. And so as he's going, and his heart's intense, so he gets this great reward from this pagan king who wants him to be close to Israel, and along the way, his donkey refuses yes. to go, because That's the donkey right. eyes are open, and he can see the angel of the Lord. Yes. Yeah. The donkey keeps going off his path, and Balaam keeps beating his donkey. And the Lord <laughs> opens his mouth up and shuts it. <laughs> and the donkey says, Why are you beating me? Haven't I always been good and obedient? Mm. Haven't you been able to trust me? Haven't I always treated you safely? He says, Yes, but you won't go where I want you to go. And it's like, Hey, what's your deal? Mm. Yeah, I forgot about that story. Yes, that one, that's perfect. <laughs> Do we even need any more? <laughs> yeah, okay, thank you. No, that is absolutely, that is a roadblock. Wow, couldn't even move the donkey. Okay, anybody else? You, you don't have to live up to the whole storytelling of Jeannie. I know she's... <laughs> Ananias and Sapphira? Yes, I had them written down. Yeah, you can. Do you want to explain it more? You can. Yeah, but yes, they were for the wrong reasons, right? They wanted to go after and steal the money and get the Ananias and Sapphira, and anyway, they were struck dead. So um, there were definitely a uh, roadblock there. I thought of the Tower of Babel, right? Um, trying to get to God, and so they're building a, a way to God, and what was the roadblock? Language barrier, right? So all of a sudden, no one could communicate with each other. So um, God stopped them in their tracks and their sin. Any other ones? Yep. Jonah. Had him written down, too. Jonah. Go and share the gospel um, with people. So that they can be saved. Nope, not doing it. Okay, you can get swallowed by a fish then. <laughs> God's going to stop you. <laughs> One way or another, right? Either with a donkey that won't move or a fish. No. Anybody else? Yes. That of David as well. So. I feel like there's a lot of times in David's life, but that's the one that, that pops up, and I think he was the first one that I wrote down, actually, because um, just a man after God's own heart, a man in the spotlight, um, someone who everyone looked to, who was not only king, but living for God, and loving God, and fell into sin, and um, God wasn't going to let him continue that way. And so, you know, what happened? He lost his baby. I mean, that's a big deal. And had to, um, had to turn back. And there's a lot of uh, people in today that I look at, men who I have respected. I mean, men in ministry um, who I have highly respected that have fallen into sin, that God has put roadblocks in and said, nope. You cannot name the name of Jesus, and um, especially if people are watching you and looking at you and following you, I'm going to put roadblocks um, in your way. And there are, I mean, I even think of Mark Driscoll. If any of you did the sex study with me, I really got a lot of nuggets from that guy. And I do believe he loves Jesus and walked with God and, and had a huge ministry in so many people's lives. But um, greed and power and sin got, got in there and God had to put roadblocks and, and take down his ministry for a while. And, and praise the Lord, I think that he is, um, you know, God's working in his life today. So, you know, you can, it's not the end when, um, there are roadblocks and thorns and thistles that God puts into our lives. It's not the end. Um, we should see it as an encouragement of his love for us. 
And I've shared with some of you, and I even shared a little bit um, in the women's conference that this past spring has been kind of, um, for our family, one of those times when it's been one thing after another, after another, after another, after another, after another, and some of them have been big, and some of them have been small, but there have been so many things that have gone down in our lives, from big things like my husband starting a brand new business, and you're kind of wondering about how things are going to work out financially, and realistically, and new company, and all that, um, to taking on a fifth child, and sometimes we're not sure if we're just completely crazy with that decision, um, all the way to some health issues that I had. And um, God started seeing in, or not God didn't start seeing, God started showing me um, in my life and my heart some roadblocks, um, slowing me down to show me, um, yeah, you're not going to work out for eight weeks, okay? I'm going to tear your health down for a little bit and make you sit here and think about um, some of this stuff and started bringing out sin that was in my heart that I honestly never knew was even there until uh, some of these trials started hitting. And I started thinking, wow, man, I have a problem with jealousy. <laughs> what? I never thought I had a problem with jealousy. Oh, so I also had a problem with pride. Okay. Um, and just breaking me down, putting roadblocks in my way, showing me you got to stop right now and really examine your heart and see what's going on deep inside there and showing me, um, showing me idols, honestly, that were in my heart that I didn't even know were there. But I have started to, just recently, um, appreciate that and realize that that is his great love for me. He is loving me and showing me that because I love you, Sarah, so much, I can't let you continue in this deep-rooted sin that you've had um, in your heart. And I'm going to put roadblocks in your way and so that they bring it up. Um, so God chastens those that he loves and he's going to put roadblocks in your path if you're continuing in sin um, without uh, confessing and forsaking it. Um, the third thing that I saw was that we are a very forgetful people, right? We're a very forgetful people. We so often try to go outside of the provision of God to find satisfaction. I know I do. Israel was a very forgetful people. Uh, Gomer was a very forgetful wife. Here we read um, in that second half of chapter 2, um, she'd been provided with all of these things. Israel had been provided with everything that they needed, and yet who were they worshiping? Idols. God had given them everything they needed. They made all these alliances with Syria. They continued to worship idols. And ultimately, in 722, um, they were destroyed and scattered everywhere. Um, they were committing spiritual adultery, going outside of God to find satisfaction and love and a lover somewhere else. Um, today, when we have our little time just to discuss uh, with a friend, we'll be talking about spiritual amnesia. Um, so what's amnesia? Make sure you're still awake. Yes, forgetting, okay? So I think we can have a lot of spiritual amnesia, and I've got a whole list of references um, that we'll be looking up um, back uh, mostly in the Old Testament where God is telling the people of Israel, remember, remember, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. And I think, man, how many times does God have to tell us, don't forget, I've provided for you before, Sarah. Do you think I'm going to fail you now? I mean, I provide for the sparrows. I care about those ugly, nasty birds. You think I'm going to forget about you, someone who I made in my own image? And yet, uh, we have a lot of forgetful minds. It just reminds me of... Um, when God said, you are, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. He was talking about when um, he brought the children of Israel out of the wilderness, out of the land of Egypt, 
open your mouth wide, I'll fill it. And yet so many times we just forget who was the one who provided us with everything, just like Gomer had forgotten or chose to not realize uh, that it was her husband that had provided her with all those things. The last thing that I saw here was that we are worth more than we can imagine in the eyes of Jesus. So chapter 3, Hosea is told um, to go back, get his wife. Chapter 3 is only five verses. I'm just going to read the whole thing. Then the Lord said to me, go again. Love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. And I said to her, you shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So I will also be towards you. For the sons of Israel will remain for many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or a sacred pillar, and without an ephod or household idols. Afterward, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. So he's called to take back his wife. Can you even imagine that? And it was for next to nothing. Next to nothing. Um... She was, I'm sure, uh, looked like a piece of work up there um, if she wasn't going for a high price. And I'm sure she looked rough. And here he buys her back for almost nothing. Um, who has First Peter 1, 18 and 19? So knowing that you were not purchased with gold, but you're purchased by what? Jesus' blood. So there's nothing, nothing that compares to that purchase price that we were purchased with, right? We are worth more than we could ever imagine, more than we could ever purchase um, in the eyes of Jesus. And that's how he looks on us. Our dirty harlot selves who continually continue in sin day after day and yet he looks on all of us and sees us as clean because of the blood of his son Jesus and I just, that just I sat in that for a while honestly when I just started thinking about that and thinking how much I don't deserve that I I'm not worth that I'm I'm like I'm like Gomer over here okay I'm worth a few shekels of whatever, and the barley, okay? But God looks at me and says, no, you are worth the price of my son, Jesus. That is how much I love you. That is how much I've forgiven you. Now, get it together and go live for me. <laughs> and I just sat in that for a while, really, and just prayed and, and was grateful again for the gospel and just reminded of how fortunate I am to be his daughter, a daughter of the king and forgiven and loved so much and how I don't deserve that. Um, I also thought of poor Hosea, okay? I just, this guy, my heart goes out to him. Here he was experiencing the pain of infidelity. I can't imagine even just how he probably broke into tears, weeping as he was preaching to these people day after day, knowing the turmoil that was going on in his own marriage and in his own home. And really it was a picture, a mirror of what was happening. And so could you imagine preaching your heart out, um, begging these people to turn back to God and knowing that you have a wife that won't turn back to you? And I just thought, man, God, why did you ask this prophet, this preacher of you to do this such a strange weird thing to go and marry this harlot like why would you even do that and I looked up um, some of these other prophets God asked these guys to do some weird stuff I mean if you've ever studied the prophets weird stuff like Isaiah um, did you know he had to preach naked one time I'm glad I wasn't him <laughs> um, 
hard enough for me to come in my workout clothes for you guys today. No. Um, Ezekiel, so his wife died, and God told him that he couldn't cry or weep over her. He, I, I don't know why, but he wasn't able to do that, just had to keep preaching, couldn't even weep over his wife. Um, and the list goes on, honestly. God asked these prophets to do some crazy things, and I wanted to start focusing um, on that and wondering, why, why would you do that? And really, the I thought, you know what, instead of having all that, because I'm not sure if I have the exact answers, I think the point is, um, instead of focusing on all the crazy things that God asked him to do, or back, why did God even ask Hosea to do this, um, to go and marry Gomer, is to think about this instead. What areas of idolatry um, in my life are causing me to commit adultery against my God? Because that's the picture that Gomer and Hosea represent, right? So I started just going through that in my own notes um, in Hosea. What areas of idolatry? So those are things that I, anything that I'm putting before God are causing me to commit adultery. So going outside of my love relationship with Jesus, with God. When these last few months, when God has brought these um, certain trials into my life, he has also, along with bringing sin out that I didn't know was there, he's brought idols out right along with those sins that I did not realize were even idols in my life. And honestly, there are really good things that were in my life. They were not bad things. They were good things that were in my life. But they were, um, they were in front of God, and I didn't even realize it. And there was a point when I was on my knees before the Lord and said, man, Lord, heaven forbid that you would ever take my husband away from me. But I've seen it happen. I lost my own mom at age 14. So you could take him away through death or you could take him away through, God forbid, infidelity or um, divorce. Would you be enough for me? Would you be enough for me, God, if something horrible like that would happen? Because right now, my claws are, are in him too tight. And having a husband and loving my husband is a great thing. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. Marriage is great. But when he becomes a bigger deal to me than my God, that's adultery against my Savior. He was becoming an idol in my life. I didn't even know it. Um, friendships are wonderful. I have a wonderful group of friends. I love my friends. I'm so thankful for my friends. But are they more important than my Savior? Are they becoming at a higher level than my God? Um, if I think I'm going to lose one of them, am I going to freak out? Okay. They must be an idol in my life. And I had to start really just looking through my heart and seeing, man, Lord, what areas? So that is actually the question that I want you to write down for your time tomorrow um, that I did not have printed in here. So on page 10 where it says, um, make it personal, write that down because some of these might not be um, things you want to share with your group and really just can be between you and the Lord. But what? Areas of idolatry, idols in your life, are causing you to commit adultery against your God. They can be very good things. They can be your kids. They can be your husband. They can be your job. They can be your finances. We all need money to pay our bills. It's not wrong. But when it becomes higher than our Savior, it is wrong. And you're going outside of his love and his care and his divine protection for us to seek, um, to seek love outside of him. And it's really some heart surgery that um, can go on in your life if you, uh, if you really take it there. And we are going to end um, just with these few verses in Deuteronomy 7. You can turn there if you want, but I'll read them for you. Um, kind of going back to this Hesed covenant love for you. This is what God says. He's talking about the nation of Israel, but it's for us too. Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 12. For you are a people, holy to the Lord your God. 
The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were numerous in other peoples. Actually, you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. But those who hate him, he will repay to face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay their face to those who hate him. Therefore, take care to follow the commands, the decrees and laws I give you today. If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant love to you that he swore to your ancestors. He has Hesed kind of love for us, the kind of covenant love that he promises that he will be faithful, and yet he puts action towards it. But all of us need to put our action also towards his love for us and be able to have full enjoyment. So that is what I have for you today in those first three chapters. Um, I'm going to turn some music on, and you can leave if you need to. You can stay as long as you'd like to. Um, there is a little section of just a few simple uh, discussion questions about today um, to help you think. And so you can turn to a neighbor or two and look up some of these verses, answer them together. Um, talking about spiritual amnesia a little bit today. And then going a little bit further in discussing what it really means to you to um, enjoy that unconditional love that God has offered for you um, and what action and faith and obedience that you need to take to really start enjoying it. Get off that uh, pool chair. So I'm going to turn the music on for you. <laughs>